Yeah, anyway. Yeah. You ever consider You'll like, edit this. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's, it's cool, but... What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Opus Podcast. This is our podcast on raveling songs. My name is Josh Kumar. And I'm Lana Holgado. Now, folks, y'all already know what it is. All right, this is our artist spotlight. And guys, you have heard me in the past do these intros. And sometimes I can be a little hyperbolic. I'm not going to lie. But when I tell you, I am not lying when we have a Philadelphia icon in studio here. Shout out Rec Philly, by the way, for having us. But she is a singer songwriter musician she owns this city please give it up for missy debise hello hi yeah wow thank you for this introduction i mean i, I said no lies there but <laughs> listen that's let's... true <laughs> you know we would be remiss though if we uh if we didn't take advantage of having a philadelphia icon on like in studio to comment on a very important issue right now because there's a war going on i don't know if you're aware of this between uh Philadelphians who are native to South Philly or native to Philly and people from South Jersey who say they're from Philly. I think that people who are from South Jersey are just from East Philadelphia. Right? Thank like, you. Yeah. I don't I I feel like we shouldn't let such a a toxic waste of a river really divide us. <laughs> you know? That's a really good way of putting it. And yeah. they, like you could cross that body of water on like a five minute canoe ride. That's true. Mm -hmm. So are we really, I mean, there's like a little bit of cultural differences for sure. But the majority of the time we're, you know, rooting for the same teams. Yeah, exactly. We were all disappointed with the Phillies loss. We were all cheering when the, like the 40 chicken rotisserie guy was eating that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like rotisserie chicken, dude. That didn't matter if you were from, you know, South Jersey or Philadelphia. We were all coming together. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's great. Normally, people from Philly are really snobby about that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really glad that we, we settled this matter. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's forever settled now. Yeah, 100%. Nobody can challenge it. I yeah, mean, like, no one should dare bring it up again. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand, actually, the hate that Jersey gets. I think it's completely unwarranted. This this is going far better than I was <laughs> <laughs> I was completely prepared for you just like to talk crap, and I'd just be like, okay, we'll just let it happen. But wow, okay. <laughs> no, South Jersey needs some reps. I'm, I'm glad we're getting that right now. Okay, yeah. yeah. Not just because, like, Kayleen, you know, drummer of Mannequin Pussy, mm -hmm. is from Jersey and still lives in Jersey, but, like, just, I think, across the board. Like, I know so many great people from Jersey, and I have a good time when I'm there, so. Yeah. And it's yeah, beautiful. Buddy. And there's really good food. Like, I don't know. Yeah. This is the commercial for South <laughs> Yeah, this is the commercial. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually should probably reveal that I'm on the tourism board for... <laughs> South Philly, and I should reveal that. I got you, got you. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's like pretty nice leading in though, because I think one of the beautiful things about Philly is, um, like, it like it becomes a cultural like touchstone whether you're native to it or not. And you actually grew up in Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. Right outside of New York, that type of Connecticut. Yes, so like, that type of Connecticut. Gotcha. Yeah. So nice, like suburban, everything chill. Yeah. Makings of a real like punk rocker right there. Yeah, I think it's the. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe like part of the pipeline to punk rockery, but there is something to be said for growing up, I think, in a place that has a lot of wealth and 
you can experience class consciousness consciousness at a very young age growing up in environments like that mm -hmm. where you very quickly realize one the way that wealthy people act and treat other people who might not have as they do and then to the discrepancies that exist between like the haves and the haves nots and i think that is a a definite uh important time in my life like kind of recognizing these things from a very young age i actually think like it, yeah like you said it really does connect like sort of because there's a lot of pressure for conformity in like spaces like that oh yeah so you know like i think it's really easy to become an anarchist when you're like in like a situation where everything's like kind of predetermined for you and like there, there's such like a neat box that you're sort of pressured in yes thank you it's <laughs> uh I, you know i don't think that's uh completely unique to just you know maybe suburban living but it is definitely something to be said of, uh, I would say, probably a majority of suburbs, that there's this very harsh and rigid definition of what a life is and what a life looks like. And that pressure to assimilate yourself into this predetermined box that's been written for you, um, I think some people seem to be able to adapt well to, and others are just, you know, kind of become like arsonist <laughs> or like... <laughs> I want to burn down the life script, and I want to burn down the system, and I want to create an, a new utopia. <laughs> got you, got you. Yeah. So uh, when you were growing up and all, um, what did your parents do? Uh, my mom um, was an uh, investigative journalist, and, and she actually she used to live in Philly and work. Um, her family's from Baltimore, but she lived in Philly for a while and worked for a TV station here. Mm -hmm. And then got on the wrong Amtrak train and that's how my parents met. Oh wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. They met on an Amtrak train. That's really and my dad was from the Bronx and she was from Baltimore. Um but anyway, uh yeah, so she's an investigative journalist. Um but then by when she had children she transitioned more into like what we would call now like work from home. So doing like freelance journalism mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like stay at home mom stuff, which is, you know, one of the most brutal and um unrelenting jobs that there is mm -hmm. and my dad was uh he had a few different jobs as i was growing up but like mostly you know uh like white collar office job work mm -hmm. i think he worked for chrysler for a while when i was a kid and philip morris mm -hmm. and altria doing different things gotcha yeah a leasing expert i don't know it sounds like very like 80s like 90s like ideal work situations right there yeah in, in many ways yes mm. sure when you're growing up um i know you said that before your uh grandfather owned like a record store or something mm -hmm. and that was like your big introduction to music yes yeah so uh what were you like mostly listening to back then i actually remember getting like a bunch of cds from that, that was apparently from my pops's record store his record store was in baltimore and it was called record collections on charles street and I got a bunch of CDs from my aunt. And like one of them was Sir Mixalots, like Baby Got Back, mm -hmm. um, a Bush CD, and a Paula Cole CD. I remember getting a bunch of those. Mm -hmm. um, and then this probably would have been when I was like very, very young, maybe like six. Oh, wow. That's really early. Yeah. For, like, like Sir Mixalot. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, but yeah, there was like no kind of music that was like, off limits or anything. But I think because of like my pops's obsessive uh, love for for music and um, 
books and things like that that really like seeped into to my mom and then like thus into our household and our upbringing so there's just like always always music playing in the house or if there wasn't music playing my parents would be reading or like having very intense philosophical political discussions mm. i would say that was the environment that i grew up in and it makes a lot of sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that definitely tracks right there um you were also into ballet when you were younger right yeah so when did you how, how did you get started in that my first love uh ballet and ultimately my first heartbreak as well oh no <laughs> did you start ballet when you were like four yeah so did I, did you but really? I didn't keep up with it. When did you When did you tap out? I think like very early because I started doing other styles of dance. My grandma had, she started a Filipino dance company um, based out of Philly. Oh, and wow. so I joined that um, and then I did that like all through high school. And oh, then so you kept dancing for a while. Yeah, I kept dancing. I still, still dance. Dancing. Yeah, I work for a Polynesian dance company. Beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then I recently rejoined the Filipino dance company because I was like, that's my, you know, like Polynesian dancing is fun, but like, this is like my, it's not my culture, like going back to my You're going roots. back to your roots, yeah. yeah. But I've always admired, like, I've always admired ballet. Like I thought, I've always thought it was so cool and like, so skillful you know the intense technicality of it the like intense dedication of it what it means to kind of give your your life up for the pursuit of almost perfection mm -hmm. which is something that ballet really demands um which i think ultimately as much as i i probably do like chase like an elusive idea of perfection it really can't exist but one place it does exist is ballet like there's only like one way to perform some of those moves mm -hmm. and you either do it correctly or you fail it's kind of like it really is such an intense world it's not stressful yes <laughs> it's, so, it's so stressful but i did it from like the ages of probably like three or four kind of you know doing like cute kid ballet dancing and then up until the age of 15 or 16 is when I quit mm -hmm. um but I really for like a while in especially like growing up in Connecticut there you know there's like such this pressure to know exactly what you want to do with your life at the age of like 13 mm -hmm. um like as soon as you're in high school it's like that's when the track starts right that like everything you do is like for your college right. admissions mm -hmm. or it's for your career mm -hmm. instead of just realizing that they're all literally children who are still just figuring it out but it was like the only thing i was really good at that i got any sort of like positive feedback about in my life you know like i wasn't a particularly good student like i didn't enjoy school mm-hmm and I, yeah, there was just no like, sounds, this sounds kind of like a therapy session, but yeah, there was like no, I didn't have any, there was like no positive, like real feedback in my life. Or like, mm -hmm. oh, you're good at this. But ballet was a thing where people were like, you are great at this. Mm. Yeah. And I, that felt really good. But then I also just fell in love so much with, with performance and, and telling a story through, through movement and dance and, and you're using, you know, using your body as the ultimate you know, sacrificial art form. Um, but then 
bye. <laughs> did <laughs> like you, it didn't. It didn't last. Did you ever? Did you have any like favorite parts that you danced? Yeah, in the Nutcracker, I adored the like dance of the snowflakes, dance of the flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the year that I quit, I was prime or like I was kind of like forced to quit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was gonna be the um, the Arabian dancer, mm-hmm. like the solo i would have crushed it yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah <laughs> but it did not come to be mm-hmm. um and i actually have not been to the ballet since but my friend and i are like i told this to a friend of mine recently and she was like the fuck like we're going to the ballet this winter so next winter i'm this is gonna be my first time seeing a ballet in person since i was a teenager and I th- i've f- fully told her already i was like i'm gonna be sobbing oh, that's so exciting <laughs> yeah i was uh i was a little mouse my two times that i was in it when i was like five it's so cute <laughs> there's just i like i love the nutcracker and like how it brings together so many um levels mm-hmm. of dance as well and it just like it really like involves everyone yeah mm. i wanted to be like those the kids that like go under the big skirt you know that's what I wanted to do. The party guest. Yeah. And you would have gotten there. Mm-hmm. You it's know. Fine. The, it's weird how, like, the ballet, especially the Nutcracker, is, like, kind of, like, a weird metaphor for, like, climbing the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> like, you start as a mouse, <laughs> and maybe you end as, you know, the sugar plum fairy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I have nothing to contribute on the art of ballet, <laughs> so I'm just making sure. No, it's okay. I don't know. That's something I feel really, like, I, I can appreciate it. Like, one, I had a ex who was actually really into it, um... So I, like would take her for like anniversaries and stuff, and oh. I would just like sit there and be like, I mean the music's nice, but like I don't. I, you didn't appreciate the art form, I'm Josh. Just, I'm watching them like do things that I could never do with my body, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is like incredible. But like I feel like there's like I I need to like read the Wikipedia of the story while it's going along for me mm. to like make the connection. Did you just see the Nutcracker? Or did you go to other ballets I saw, as like, well? Swan Lake. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, things like that. It was. It's really great. Like I would go again if like a friend was telling me like, hey, I want to go see this. It's just like you should get into the Balanchine ballets, the the like father of modern American ballet, even though he was Russian, I believe. Balanchine. Yeah, Balanchine. George Balanchine. Okay, I'll check. Like it out. those are you have to. Um, I was lucky enough to be in like one Balanchine. Mm-hmm performance of a nutcracker but he's like a choreography is something that you basically have to like pay for the rights to do in the ballet world Mm -hmm. but not just that like you have to like perform for their board of directors like there's like a board of people who own the rights to that choreography and they come and test you to make sure that you are performing the choreography exactly right well, this is, we're getting on tangential stuff, but the world you, of ballet is mm-hmm. is wild, is what it's I'm trying cool. to say. Okay, yeah. gotcha. and very like competitive. Uh, you ever think like if you like didn't have to quit like and kept pursuing it, like it, would you like stay with it your whole life? Do you think? I don't. I think because of like just how um, intense it is on the human body, it's mm-hmm. not something that would probably last for life. Like I think the majority of dancers end up retiring like at some point in their like late 20s mm-hmm. or early 30s which if you think about the trajectory of like one's life that's usually when a life really starts like a career really starts not coming down on the end mm-hmm. but it's such a brutal and unforgiving thing to to put your body through you know there's just like such sustained injuries and you really put your body to the limit for you know the love of 
of the art form. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I do wonder what my life would have been like if I had not stopped. Mm. But I think it all worked out okay. Yeah, I mean, clearly. Yeah, you would. I think you would have still had time to like make your whole music career after you retired. You know, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, this is done. Now we're gonna do this. Yeah, but I, I understand that. Like, my mom was really into ballet, and she tore her ACL when she was nineteen. Mm. Yeah, so she had to like. Yeah, stop. Th- those are the starts of like just like heartbreaking injuries that like your body decides for you. It mm-hmm. has nothing to do with like something that you actually made a decision in because it is basically like a sport in that regard right like it literally is it is yeah Yeah. it really is i think it's interesting though because like you started playing guitar around the time like that time right 14 15 i took a few guitar lessons with my neighbor chris robeson um and maybe like not many i don't remember taking that many maybe like five Mm. And my lessons, I remember, like, growing up being like, I want to write a song. So I didn't really learn that much in the way of, like, theory or scales. Yeah. <laughs> or but he was, like, helping you piece together sort of, like, how to, like, write a song and, like, get that thing going? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what was kind of driving you at that age? Was it just, like, you felt like you had something to say? Or? I wanted to be in a band so desperately when I was, like, 14 or 15. I think around that same age... Um, you know, it was like the early 2000s and uh, my favorite, like, you know, like the walls of my bedroom were like filled with images of like Karen O and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and the Strokes and um, like Blink-182 and just like, I just adored bands and I adored aggressive music, which I think is a kind of a funny like pairing of words. Like I adore aggressiveness. <laughs> Um, but I just, I don't know, just something about that kind of, I don't know, that like the magic that comes through like a group of people working together and and writing a song and making a song was just so, so cool to me. Um, and then we had a few friends of ours growing up who were in like bands and they would do like battle of the band stuff and, you know, we would go to like our teen center and, and cheer them on. But, um, none of the girls played music it was like something that only the boys did and I had two friends who we were like so determined to make a band together and do it and then it all fell apart Mm. over some teen girl bullshit and I kind of felt like I didn't do that at the time that I wanted to but it was just you know kind of put like an ellipses at the end of it rather than like a period Mm. like something that i tried to do and it didn't work out Mm -hmm. it was like okay well we'll just try this at another time when maybe it'll make sense again Mm -hmm. and then patiently waited for that to happen your second attempt at starting a band was in college right Mm -hmm. yes uh i had like a a a punk house with some friends in boulder colorado we would have parties at our house uh every month and either have like DJs playing in our living room or bands playing in our kitchen and uh, or like outside in the backyard. But we just started there wasn't a lot of there was kind of no like DIY spaces in Boulder, Colorado at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And like going to Denver a lot for shows like a lot of the shows there were like 21 or older and we were like kind of just on the cusp at this point. So we're like, oh, we'll just start having 
bands play at our house just like the very spirit of okay well if nothing's happening we're gonna make things happening if there's no scene we're gonna make a scene and I had a few friends who were in bands at that time and and by then I had for the first time in my life like um you know really close beautiful female friendships with with other women who were playing music and mm-hmm. so I got to see this person who was right in front of my face, you know, not on, um, not on stage or not on a poster in my bedroom, but right next to me, you know, playing drums or playing guitar. And it just kind of, I don't know, like it got into my soul in this way of like, you want to do this so badly. And they're telling you, you could just do it. So you should just do it. Was like at that moment where you were realizing that like, oh, this isn't just like a hobby kind of thing. This is something that I actually want to pursue. No, I think it, it definitely was in like hobby world for a really long time. The the powerful epiphany of like being in a really crowded kitchen, moshing and <laughs> like throwing beer on each other in this really like elated, beautiful, chaotic way was this like awakening of if this is how music makes me feel and if this is how music makes the people around me feel and this is the best that we feel at any given point in the day, this is something that I need in my life so it was around then that I was like I'm going to learn how to play guitar and I'm going to write songs at that time when you were in college like what else were you pursuing like for your career I was a political science major and international affairs uh, person so I was uh, heavy in the world of completely dissecting uh, American foreign policy and uh the history of America and the history of the politics of the world. So uh, depressing Yeah. Mm. when you're going into, you know, when you're like 18 to 21 years old and you're learning about these things for the first time. And, you know, I mean, you obviously start to realize that the kind of versions of histories that you've t- been taught in high school are not only extremely like colonial washed and whitewashed and, written in the fit to put america into the best light as possible you're starting to realize oh like a lot of what i've been told is not necessarily the truth uh not even not necessarily the truth just not the truth yeah yeah. so you know i started having a lot of panic attacks at that Mm. time thinking about just how intensely fucked we (laughs) were and how fucked the american political systems were and this was you know like 10 years ago now so don't we all know it and isn't it just still going along that way that's crazy because i went i went to college for music but now i have like a job in politics oh whoa so you just got elected, yeah so. i oh, did yes. that that was me that was all her excellent that was all me yeah. yeah that's funny that we both kind of just like yeah i didn't i didn't do anything with music in yeah i think it's interesting though because like your songwriting at that time and like you're developing like more of like kind of a leftist like political ideology uh how is that like coming through at all in the music at that point at that point i think we're talking like still kind of early 20s yeah, yeah, yeah. um colorado times mm, i don't think so yet i think the the kinds of like conversations i was having with like my friends and peers were like definitely in the language of kind of new leftist politics like these new political identities that we were finding these this you know 
those like drunken rants you go on with your friends at 21 years old where you're like did you know man that like <laughs> that like all the problems that we have with immigration are just because the united states like colonized the fuck out of all the like south america you know like mm. that mm -hmm. yeah. there's this like awakening that's happening of like this is the culture that i'm a part of and this is the country that i live in and then at the same time i feel like the music at that point was more of like this escapist um kind of party vibe mm -hmm. where like we were so disturbed by the things that we were learning at this you know at this point in our lives um that it was just this like okay well now we need to just like kind of get it out and you know i think that's kind of where my love for maybe aggressive music also comes from is that i have a lot of us i think have this like real anger and dissatisfaction with the way that things are on a macro level in our society and with our government and then so what do you do with that energy right if it just like sits inside of you it spreads like a poison mm -hmm. and then so i think that's why a lot of us gravitate towards the arts because we find a place where we can kind of like you know use that as like an outlet for expression exactly yeah gotcha. post-graduation leaving Colorado, or you actually stayed in Colorado for a bit, right? I stayed in Colorado for a little bit, yeah. And then graduated right into the recession, right? Yes, I yes. did. Perfect <laughs> timing. <laughs> yeah, couldn't find a job. Got a job washing dishes at a cafe 40 hours a week from 6 a.m. to 2, 2 p.m., five days a week. So I was like, it was just crazy. When I, th when I think about that time in my life, graduating to recession, not being able to find a job in the field that I had <laughs> like just, or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, then ending up working as a, a dishwasher at a cafe, partying my ass off in this punk house I lived in with like five other people, but still waking up at like five in the morning every morning to go to the work, to mm -hmm. go to work on like three hours of sleep a night. Um, can't believe I did that. And I did that for like seven months. Oh, dang. That's a lot. Yeah. And, th but that was also like, you know, my, you know, I had to work, like I had to pay my bills and, and do those things and that was the best i wasn't a dishwasher there forever because like you started as a dishwasher mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was a buddhist cafe so this it was called trident cafe and used booksellers so i actually at the end i was like working in, in the bookstore um but yeah the, their like philosophy was if you lose your shit i'm saying this in my words mm -hmm. not theirs they're like if you can't handle the pressure of inanimate objects you will never be able to handle the pressure of an animate person in front of you trying to give you their bullshit. Mm -hmm. So like you weren't allowed to be a barista there or like work in the the bookstore until you had worked through dishwashing. And if you could handle being a dishwasher, they're like, then you're ready for people. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that philosophy? Actually, it really made sense to me at that time when it was explained to me correctly because I would sometimes realize like my own emotions would go like if I had like a huge stack of dishes I had to get through or like mm. it was just like all coming at once like if I like started to lose my cool that's when I would make mistakes like I would break a glass and or I would cut my hand or like something would happen and it would throw off my whole stuff so it really it really did kind of ultimately have this feeling of like okay even though things were piling up in front of me I still just have to take this like one dish at a time which I think has actually been a pretty useful philosophy in, yeah. in my life as you know much worse than just dirty dishes are, are thrown at a person throughout your life it's 
usually much more monumental than that but um you know and i yeah i, I guess yeah i guess i approve of, of their their philosophy there in a, a way that i'm gonna file that away for later <laughs> one dish at a time baby yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's so much more interesting than I thought dishwashing would be. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Um, I was trying to think of like a Buddhist segue into like the next, but I couldn't think. Um, so, okay, you're in Colorado washing dishes and stuff. And then from there, uh, you end up coming back to the East Coast, right? Yes. My mom had a stroke. So I moved back from Colorado to Connecticut to help in the um, like post care um caretaking of of her in that time so mm. then i you know it was such a, a, str a really really strange and intense time in my life i think i was like had just turned 23 like i just had my 23rd birthday and then like two days later i got the call about my mom and um going from my life of freedom and living in a house with you know like five of my best friends and having parties and going to shows and doing the things that in your mind is what someone in their early 20s is supposed to do to then all of a sudden being back in like my childhood bedroom um in the town that I grew up working again at the pizza place I worked at in high school and just kind of feeling like this regression but knowing that like I had to be there for mm -hmm. my family at this time mm. um and that's where I really started learning how to play guitar side note there was like this one tiktok you posted recently where you were like you had a guitar that some guy from your hometown gave yeah you. i saw oh. that yeah oh what was up with that oh. <laughs> that guy is someone i worked at a i worked at a pizza place with him and he that's that aforementioned pizza place and he and i were both delivery drivers there and nice guy strange guy but he gave me this acoustic guitar that was at his house that he said his brother had never played. And I was like just learning how to play guitar. And I don't think I had a guitar at that point. And so, or no, I must have had a guitar. I don't know what I had, but he just, he gave me this acoustic. I didn't have an acoustic and it was really kind to, to do in like a gift. And then I think a few, like a year later, he got arrested for installing secret cameras in a bathroom of another place that he worked. Huge bummer, mm. Mm. to put yeah. it lightly. But um, yeah, fucking peeping Tom, yeah. doing gross shit. I like I sent that TikTok to Lana, and I was just <laughs> typing in like, "This woman really had no filler episodes in her life. Like it's just all like plot development." Yeah. <laughs> Even, like, the I thought the dishwasher thing would at least be boring, but no, you changed my whole life with that one. Now I gotta reconsider my life. One uh, dish at a time, Josh. I'm, I'm just so mad at how interesting you are. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, going back to it though, uh, so you're in Connecticut taking care of your mom, and then you find yourself uh, after like she's recovered moving to, is it New York? Yeah, I moved to New York City. Um, since it was closest to my parents, like I would still be like a less than hour ride away from them. And at that time, Mannequin Pussy had started and it was just like me and my childhood friend, Thanasi, Paul, mm -hmm. playing as a duo. And like really just like I would say an exercise in catharsis, like 
no expectations of ever making a record no expectations of ever touring um just playing like minute-long songs and screaming my heart out because I feel like at that point just so many things had already happened in my life that I just didn't know how to and you know I was I I wasn't going to therapy at this time so Mm -hmm. these things were just sitting inside of me Mm -hmm. and so I just was very desperate for some sort of outlet um but uh, actually before this I went on like my first ever tour with Colleen Green and I played bass how did that happen by the way like were you playing somewhere and she just saw you and it was like she played at my house in Colorado. She oh. was like a musician whose band came through and she played in my kitchen, and we met there and just like kind of immediately had a a connection to each other. And then eight months later, when I was back in Connecticut, um, she just hit me up out of the blue on like sent me like a Facebook message. It was like, hey, I'm I'm going on tour and I know this sounds weird, but like I'm pretty sure you're musical and um, I need a bass player for this tour like could you do it and at this time I had been playing guitar for like two months but I just wrote back and was like yeah I know how to play bass <laughs> I just like straight up lied to her that's the best way to do it I mean you could always learn like, yeah. yeah yeah I was like I, ca- I can no, learn right. how to do this like I, I listened to the music and I was like I know that I can do this if I just pra- and I think I had like two months or three months to yeah. learn the parts mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, just send me the notes. <laughs> no big deal. But in, internally, like, freaking out, realizing, like, oh, God, I, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Trial by fire situation. Exactly. Yeah. But sometimes best way to do it mm-hmm. without the fire, like, you <laughs> might just, you know, find yeah. something else to be distracted by. Mm. Mm-hmm. What was the tour life like on that one? Like- Colleen taught me everything about, like, what DIY means and the spirit of that and how to have a dream and a belief in yourself and kind of work at a maniacal level to make that happen. You know, she, at the time that we met, like she was recording all of her own music and um, she had just signed to Hardly Art, which was a subsidiary of um, Sub Pop Records. And, but she, you know, she kind of just, started putting her music up online and then built a community through that. And then anytime she was going on tour, it was like asking the internet, like, Hey, who knows someone in Tulsa, Oklahoma that could book a show for me? And without fail, every time someone would come along, it was like, Oh, I've got a friend or Hey, I do. And like just opening yourself up to the mercy of other people and sharing with them your intent. And like just the idea that people in s- sometimes want to help you or like want you to come to their their town yeah. I, you know I, I went to i saw the country for the first time in my life and like went to these cities that i had only heard about and or small towns i didn't even know existed mm-hmm. you know playing sometimes for like 20 kids and another you know other nights for like a couple hundred or something and and just um I met so many people on that first tour that are still really important friends in my life that I've now been friends with for like a decade. I can't believe that sometimes that I got so lucky that that happened to me at the time in my life that it did because it was like really what I I needed to start to understand one what it means to like work hard and two what it means to 
have an artistic intention and what you do with that. With all the experiences, is that sort of what drives you um, to start like your next band with, uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Thanasi. Thanasi, okay. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Got yeah. You. Yeah. Um, so I know that you're sick probably of answering questions about your the band name. I do have a question though, because I think like um, in terms of like censorship of art, right? You you're kind of in a unique position where uh, you experience both sides of the coin, obviously with you know um, your band, but also uh, with your um, self-titled like first album, right? Having a different uh, name before you decided to switch it there. Um, what's sort of like your basically where is the line between in in terms of your view between like reclamation versus like this is this is a space I shouldn't really like touch. I mean, I think if it's like. If you learn that a word is a slur, mm -hmm. if you learn that there's a history that is meant specifically to malign not the population as a whole, mm -hmm. but a specific group of people, you learn, you revise, mm -hmm. you take in those lessons. What the difference there is with reclamation is like when you have a word like pussy that is used in all these different contexts, but very specifically is meant as a way to demean and diminish people and to insinuate a weakness on a whole. Mm -hmm. I think that is a, a space where you're able to be like, okay, we're going to recontextualize this. We're not going to erase this word, you know, like certain, certain words I think should not be used because their, their intent was only ever, meant to hurt someone and the only group of people who ever should have the rights to that word are the group in question and but like you know what does one mean by pussy it's like so open-ended mm -hmm. and it's um a lot of people think of a lot of different things when when they hear it and so kind of recontextualizing it put this reclamation in it um I thought was an interesting opportunity for us to do as a band. And, you know, like I'm like waxing poetic on it now, but um, it also is just kind of like funny to me. I think it's, it's like a really, it's so, f it's so good. It's mm. a funny band name yeah. and it's unforgettable. <laughs> 100% there. Yeah. Uh, I think someone once described it as love to hate or hate to love, but either way there's love there. Mm. Uh, I did want to ask about uh, a question off uh, your self titled. Um, so, uh, Meet Slave 2, side, like, easily one of the best song titles I've come across, because you made it before uh, Meet Slave 1. I got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> when, like, what was sort of the, uh, idea behind that song in particular, if you remember, uh, when you are writing it, titling it? Meet Slave 2? Mm -hmm. I think, at, at that time, I would say that our song titles almost never had anything to do with the like actual context of the song or the lyrics mm -hmm. like the 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 usual way that people title a song is it's usually like one of the first words in the first stanza of the first verse or like it's part of the hook in the chorus you know like mm -hmm. that's that's generally what people do but at the time that i was writing songs i would i wrote a song like me slave 2 which you know is ultimately about heartbreak and loss mm -hmm. and then pair it with like something funny that happened when I was like out to dinner with my friends. 
Just listening to it, I was like really confused because I was like, "This, I thought this was supposed to be a joke song. Why is this hitting so hard? Mm. Like, it's a beautiful song. I liked it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I've actually, th- I was, we were listening to that song the other day at practice because uh, we were like, oh, maybe we should like bring back some old songs. But I never really liked the B part there. Mm. So I think I might actually like remake that song one I day. You. I don't know. Meet Slay 4. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I'd have to, I'd have to continue on the. It wouldn't be a trilogy anymore, which would maybe upset me mm. and like the nerd maybe purists. Meets, but maybe you could do Meat Slave 2.5. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like it's still within the realm, but yeah. a little. Like it's got Lion it's King got some extra sauce on it now. Yeah. yeah. You had a quote that I actually thought was really interesting. Uh, you said um, artists don't usually make music with the intention to be popular. They make music with the intent to say something and connect to people. Uh, when it came to like writing that first album, what do you think your intention was like say? At the time, I I just felt so unbelievably angry and depressed, and I would say that had been my my like waking state for ten years at that point. Like I went through some really heavy shit as a a child and you know like my teen years and was just so like the reason I like quit ballet was because I was diagnosed with cancer at 15 and I just became so emotionally frozen like just unable to cry or to like recognize my life at the same time like we were talking about that you know, this is a, a really unique period in a person's life where they're really, one, not only becoming aware for the first time, they're starting to flirt with being self-aware. And I just, like, I was just so, I don't know, like, during that time of the first record, I felt like I was, like, waking up every morning and the very first thought I would have was, I hate my life. And every morning I woke up, that was the first thing that popped into my head and it had been that way for years and you know by all like accounts I have you know these like incredible privileges in my life and um was like aware and, and grateful of those things but at the same time this kind of like emotional reckoning was happening with like why have these things happened to me like why can't I just have a fucking normal life like why can't I be like my friends? Because, you know, from that experience at 15, being like, I'm not like any of my friends, to like finally being like, I'm with my friends. Like, I'm doing the things that like the people my age are doing to now I'm in a house, like taking care of my mother away from people again. Like, just always feeling like I was away from community, like away from other people. 
and I kind of felt like the first record was just this experiment in actually expressing my emotions because I never talked to anyone about how I was really feeling inside. It just like was not, uh, it was not something that I did. And it's taken me a really long time to learn how to express to people just how I feel and not just use, you know, songwriting as, as like, oh, well, if you, if you want to, if you want to know how I was really feeling, like, Mm-hmm. check out the song but actually you know communicating with people in real time mm. is is really hard but um music does allow you to spa- a space there was a moment when uh we saw you play underground arts at philly music fest and uh you just had the crowd do like a communal scream and i think like that level of catharsis like we were talking about it after mm-hmm. there were like things that we didn't realize we were going through and that w- how much we really needed that oh <laughs> like, yeah we needed that so bad yeah yeah as you as you get older you really do realize that like while maybe our struggles do not always mirror each other in an exact way the emotions do like whatever it is that's caused you to feel this way might we might have gotten to that place in a different way but a lot of us are feeling the same way on the inside especially in the kind of society that we live in and under the government that we live in and like what we've all been witnessing over the past decade and just having a place where you can one really be yourself two really express yourself and three like just fucking scream is just necessary i think to kind of balance yourself back out and be able to get through the day i don't know i like to joke about how like there's a reason why in every movie where you have like a you know, like the main characters going through it, there's like a scene where they're like screaming in their car. Mm-hmm. It's because we're all just looking for a safe place to scream. Mm. It is this just like human reaction that we often shut ourselves off from following through on that. You know, mm-hmm. like something makes you want to scream all the time. And we're just part of polite society. So we just stuff it down. And um, I'm I'm glad that you both partook in the scream because i always wonder i'm like i wonder if like anyone out there is like too shy to just like let it rip but it feels so good yeah i don't know i'm like more of an introverted type person and all so i think like being able to build that type of space yeah where it's like socially acceptable like you're it's kind of like everybody's doing it so like i don't have to like be self-conscious and like it, it really is that intense moment of connection where everybody is just like one like not to get too like meta about it but it was just really cool we can get meta. <laughs> get meta. Uh, well, let's do it on the next uh, one then. I want to <laughs> talk about, um, so moving forward, you have uh, your next album, Romantics.
I got my heart so broken for maybe not the first time in my life, but like the first heartbreak where I really like I I what I thought was going on was not that I was about to be dumped. Mm. I thought we were like really in love and just being like blindsided by someone who was just like, actually I'm out. Mm. I feel like, you know, romantic is is very much like a, a breakup record mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then kind of expressing the the stages of grief or exploring the stages of grief that you feel not just through a breakup, but through all these different things that happen in your life that end up putting you through the process of grief. The amount of great art that you produce about breakups is like insane. Like when I go through that, I'm like a like a mess. Like I can't do anything good. And like I'm just listening to this stuff. And I'm just like, wow, she like really turns like this intense like emotional experience into like bangers. I mean, if you can imagine it though, like imagine someone who is looking like really pathetic and is like in bed playing an unplugged electric guitar like literally like sobbing over her instrument is mm. how all those songs started uh, different teardrops on my guitar yeah exactly <laughs> exactly just and just trying to make sense of it because again like i don't talk about how i'm feeling mm. i don't even even like with my friends it's like i always felt this this pressure to always be okay mm-hmm. which then would later obviously like kind of manifests itself in like drunk two on our, our third record and mm-hmm. like that that line And I know exactly like where it stems from now. Like now I understand why I am that way. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was just like, why can't I tell anyone that I'm like in such pain? Mm-hmm. Why can't I communicate to like the people who I'm closest to that like I'm not okay. And I just like put on this front for everyone around me that like I am unbothered or I am you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, now I know. But mm-hmm. at the yeah. time, I didn't know. And so I, I only really had had music and, like, songwriting to figure those things out, like, with myself. Mm-hmm. Do you ever worry that you'll, like, become okay and then you won't have anything to draw from anymore? A little bit. I mean, honestly, like, I'm a little bit at that place now. Where, like, for the first time, not not that things are not happening that are not intense and and things like that, but um, I feel like emotionally I've finally kind of, like, leveled out Mm -hmm. and have the ability to start talking about things (laughs) as they (laughs) affect me. And I have, you know, like, my my life is, is, is really beautiful right now, and I'm not, like... A heartbroken mess and i'm not um i'm i'm really great grateful for everything but yeah i think that's something that a lot of 
artists wonder about. But the truth is that there's just like, there's always a new way to explore different emotions. And there's so many different emotions. Mm -hmm. I think now, like with our next record, I'm like really exploring like longing mm. Mm -hmm. and kind of, I don't know, separation and and just I feel like so much of, of being a human means just like aching for something or aching for like an elusive someone or aching for this this piece you think that's gonna make you happy and so yeah I feel like now I'm like exploring the ache that's cool do you do you see any like change in your sound like now that you're exploring different themes a little bit yeah like i w i was with a friend last night and kind of actually he was asking me like how writing the record is going because like that's what we're doing now and i was like i was like oh man it's just i was like well you know kind of not surprisingly it's like a little all over the place like there's a lot of different styles and um different types of songs coming out and he's like he's like yeah but that's kind of he was like you've positioned yourself to be able to do whatever you want so it doesn't matter what kind of song you put out next he's like nobody know he was like nobody who listens to your music really knows what kind of song you're going to put out next mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like oh that's one that's really nice of you to say dude and two you're right <laughs> like uh but yeah we're, we're like really flirting with making a like a straight up hardcore record too because we've never done that before like we have a bunch of like hardcore and punk songs on all of our records mm -hmm. but we've never made like a cohesive like statement and so i like we kind of want to write two records oh but that's mm -hmm. a lot of work yeah <laughs> we'll see yeah i did want to ask um because like you have one thing that you kind of like is a staple for you is like you have like these really like short songs that you just pack a lot into um so like emotional high kind of comes to mind realize a song is done like this is how i want it it has to feel that way mm -hmm. like if we ever we spend so much time on arrangements um which might surprise people given how short so many of our songs are but i'm really about like m maybe part of it is because i just like am so embarrassed by the depths of my own emotions that i want to be as efficient as possible mm -hmm. with them so i'm like nope i told you that's all nothing further to add here mm -hmm. and okay. so sometimes i wonder if like that's where it kind of comes from where it's like i said what i wanted to say 
come out. Mm. I think gets the point across for sure. So yeah. yeah. What's your like process for like coming up with the arrangements and like arranging? Usually, if it's a song that like I've written at home and then have like brought to practice, it's like uh, I'll show everyone you know, like what the rhythm guitar is doing, what the the vocal melody is. And then be like, okay, this is the this is the verse and this is the chorus. Now let's just kind of play through these a few times and then see where it feels right before we we stop it. So like we we speak in like our language in the studio. It's probably exactly like every other band, but it feels so. I had a moment at practice the other day. I was like, if someone was just listening to the way that we're like discussing a song right now i feel like they would be so confused mm -hmm. but we we just like obsessively play through the songs like as many times as we can until an arrangement sounds right and then because we're so into dynamic shifts mm -hmm. um you know like playing with like we're very much like a quiet loud quiet loud band it's it my it's my favorite thing in the world and like mm -hmm. i love bands like the pixies and Weezer and the Breeders and like bands who really just understand the power of dynamics. Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time like kind of experimenting with that too. Like, okay, well if this part is quiet, how does it feel then like when we when we like really engage and kick in? And so like we'll we'll experiment with a few different arrangements. And then usually we kind of sometimes end up like looking at like which one's the shortest. Mm. We're like, okay, well if we play it like this it's right around the three-minute mark, which is, like, still long for us sometimes. But we're like, hmm, maybe there's a reason that we keep gravitating towards playing it that way. And then we'll just, like, listen back for a week. And then when we come back to practice, everyone has their their notes of how we should try to arrange it. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. No, I can't. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's such a, it's not always an immediate thing, I think, is is. Mm -hmm the long way I've arrived to this answer is you just, you try th something out and you really are trying to be as aware as possible of how it feels to play. And if it feels long to you, it's gonna feel long to an audience. Mm -hmm. If it feels too short, maybe there's a little bit more to be explored. When it comes to like actual performance um, and like putting together the set list, how much are you like alternating between that like quiet, loud, quiet, loud? Well, now it's like a little, um, it's like a little boring now because I worry about my body and my voice, <laughs> whereas before I didn't mm -hmm. care, but now I really care. So we're, we're putting on a lot of like singing songs at like the top of the set. And mm -hmm. then like the end of the set is like all the like punk and hardcore songs where I'm just like screaming my head off. Yeah. Moshing around. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Just let people ease into it first. Exactly. We're like, hey, welcome to the show. Let's get this shit going. Oh, yeah, you like this pop song? Ooh, you're going to like mm -hmm. this pop song, too. Like, we're just here to have a good time. And then it's like, wait a minute, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Open up the pit. So I know I did want to ask because uh, last, I think last year, right, you toured with Japanese Breakfast mm -hmm. uh, over the summer. Um, two very different sounds <laughs> and also, like, very different concert experiences. What's it like just watching, like, playing some bangers, watching them start, like, moshing around and stuff? Uh, like, their audience, you mean? Yeah. Oh, it's fucking great. I mean, it's so... Michelle and I's music, like, maybe shouldn't make sense together, but it really does. Mm. Uh, and I will say this about, like, Japanese Breakfast fans as a whole. Like, they just love music. And they're really into the live concert experience. Like, they're there because they... 
you know, Michelle's music is so intensely emotional in the same way that ours is. It's just she's utilizing different sounds to get that message across. Mm -hmm. But I think the spirit of like what our music is is actually very, very similar. And it just it works like the two times that we've toured together. It's like we have so much fan overlap and her audience has been so receptive to us and welcoming. Um, and you can like, you know, like an audience cannot fake, like as a performer, you can fake if you're not having a good time and we, you know, we call it dialing it in mm -hmm. or phoning it in, mm -hmm. but an audience cannot do that, nor should they have to. An audience should be, you know, uh, completely honest about the experience that they are having. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you can tell like when an audience is into you or not and yeah, it just, I don't know, it just, it works for whatever reason, us and Japanese Breakfast. I got you. Uh, getting to see both of you guys live this year, there's one, like, characteristic as a performer I felt like both of you shared, which maybe, as if you're saying that, like, you guys phoned it in, I might be, like, off base on this, but... That's only some nights. Okay, gotcha. Maybe it's just, like, in Philly, y'all are just really connecting. Yeah. But I was just, like, uh, really struck back, because everybody in the audience is having the time of their lives in, like, both those shows. Um, but unquestioningly, it just felt like like you and like Michelle when she was playing was the person having the most fun, just mm -hmm. like dominating <laughs> everything. And it's not like it's just because like you're on a different level. Like when you're in a performance and you're like in that pocket and you're just like strutting around like screaming and stuff like that. What's that feeling like? You feel like the most powerful person in the room. You feel like you have power for the first time in your life. You know, I think a lot of us feel very powerless all the time. Um, in varying ways of what power is and how it manifests itself. Um, but it, I don't know, you, you feel like, like a magician a little bit, mm. you know, like you are the one who's kind of conducting this experience. And like a major reason I wanted to start playing music in some ways is because, uh, especially at that time that I moved to New York, there was this trend really of just like too cool to care. Oh, like I tch, don't ask me, man. I don't give a shit about anything was such the vibe in like the mid 2010s. And I saw so many artists who would perform at these like huge places who looked so fucking bored to be there. Like it was like uh, uh, like they were inconvenienced to have to perform for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of adoring fans. And I always saw the connection that a band has to the audience. Like if the audience doesn't look like they give a shit or sorry, if the, if the band doesn't look like they give a shit, the audience is not going to give a shit either. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something Michelle and I have definitely talked about many times. It's just like, you're the conductor of the experience. Like if you're really in it, like people are going to feel that because mm -hmm. like your energy, you know, transmutes into the, the audience and the people around you. And also, like, we have the best job in the world. So, like, why, how, how could we, how could we be bored? We've, we've spent, we've spent so long playing basements and shows to, like, 20 people that, like, if you're in a room with hundreds or thousands of people who are all there excited to see you, like, that's as close to magic as we're going to get for mortals. Like, you just commanded the whole space and, like, the whole night. And also, like, your, your performance, like, your showmanship was just very like i don't like it, it's very different than like just talking to you like now 
you know <laughs> it's like wow like i would what wow i would follow her in the battle mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We are definitely trying to, you know, we're trying to fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. But I think I learned so much of that from ballet, honestly. Yeah. I was going to say, like, watching you upstage and then hearing that you're a ballet dancer, I was like, yeah, that checks out. Because it is that, like, the movement, I, I guess it's not, like, as well defined in ballet as it is, like, when you're on stage. But it feels like you're striving toward that, like, movement of perfection almost. Like, everything kind of feels, like, intentional, even when you're just, like, jumping around. Yeah, you, I mean, you think about how to how to perform how to use your body how to how to use your body to like through dance to tell a story that's why i re- i like playing guitar less because i get to use my body more mm-hmm. um and it feels just so free and you know I, I definitely like i miss dance in such a big way and it's kind of like one of the few places i get to kind of dance up on stage and and do that mm. i uh, did want to jump just because like you know, speak, we were talking about Michelle's honor, and uh, you were in the Be Sweet video. Yes. Um, what was it like filming that? That just looked so much fun. We had so much fun, and it was also like, I think we filmed it in October 2020, and Michelle was supposed to film the Be Sweet video in March of 2020, and she had a completely different concept, and like, they were about to film it when mm. everything got shut down. So she's like, okay, well, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. And then, you know, obviously, like, a few months go by. And then, like, during the pandemic, we got really close. Um, and uh, she was like, okay, we're going to redo the B-Suite video. Like, do you want to come up to upstate New York and do this? And I was just like, yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was like, she was like, it's going to be a skeleton crew, though, because, you know, like, still kind of COVID days, mm-hmm. um, or early COVID days. And so, yeah, it was like me and Michelle, Adam Claudney, the DP, and who else was there? Husband Peter was there. But Peter was, Peter did a lot of like pre production. Like, we built something like in their house. Um, Peter did an amazing job with the set decoration for the studio. Um, and then who, two other people were there. Oh my God, I feel so bad that I can't but i love you guys but yeah there was fucking five of us who like did everything for that video and so it kind of it felt like but michelle and i are from like the diy Mm -hmm. school of thought so we're like all right whatever like we got to run cables we got to do the heavy lifting like while we're in costume okay yeah we'll do as much as we can to to get this going um but it was just so much fun to be like goofy and do something silly that was also had you know artistic intent behind it and was like meant to look good and be beautiful but also be fun um and with like a really just fun concept of us kind of like pretending to be you know in the x-files and all that exactly and like (laughs) shining our flashlights around and at five like all, all those like scenes you see in the very beginning of it where i'm like rolling over her back and like we're like invest it was like at 4 30 in the morning because <laughs> we did it between fun. like two days and we had to shoot at night so there were like two two night shoots mm-hmm. um and then you know like we would go back inside for dinner where michelle had like made dinner for everyone it felt like i don't know it's like very like we we felt like a little family and it was like Aww. our friends who we hadn't seen in so long and it was just like we were finally back together in a house eating food together and making art together and it just it felt 
I don't know. It was just beautiful. It felt so right. When it came to your own direction of uh, your music videos and all, were there any lessons that you picked up from that? Yeah, actually, well, for Drunk 2, which was the first music video I directed, I asked Michelle to direct that. And she was like, she was like, well, what do you want to do? And then I went on like a 20-minute, very detailed. And I was like, okay, so we start down the street, and then I walk through a tunnel of love. And she like, she let me give the spiel. And then at the end of it, she was like, Marissa, you are a director. Like, <laughs> you don't need me to do this. She was like, you know exactly what you want. You're a boss. And I was like, but I've never done this before. And she's like, so? So what? She's like, you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. Like, just learn. And so, you know, she definitely had, like, good feedback and stuff for me on that. But, uh, like, what a great fucking friend. Mm. <laughs> you know, to just be like, you can do this. I know you're scared, but, like, you're going to do a great job at it. And now, you know, I direct every now and then. <laughs> when I get to and I love it sure yeah sorry I'm just like watching the clock yeah um, how much time do you have uh, we have till one um, what time is it now it's 1244 oh my gosh time. okay I Not think someone has the room after us yeah uh, um, we just keep asking questions let's go yeah uh, did you want to ask about Coachella or like how's Coachella I <laughs> also <laughs> 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 my brain my brain is not working right now um, Coachella was so much fun to play. I had such a good time. Um, Does it ever feel surreal just like seeing your name on those buildings with like all these like crazy people? Uh, not really. Okay, <laughs> right. I mean, maybe it should. Like, I don't know. I didn't see anyone famous at Coachella, which kind of bummed me out. Like, the most famous. This is actually mean to say because he is famous, but um, the most famous person I saw was like. Jacoby from Papa Roach. Like, yeah, that's famous. And I think I was with, who was I? I forget who I was with. He was with like Pat, who's the guitarist for, from Turnstile. And I was like, oh shit, that's Jacoby. And he was like, oh yeah, he's like a huge Turnstile fan. I was like, oh, of course he is. Cause <laughs> everyone, like, the the best fan in the world. Um, but uh, Bear met Tom DeLong there. Apparently, Timothy Chalamet was, like, right behind me. <laughs> and I didn't see, like, right behind me. And I didn't see him. And, yeah, that's what you really wanted to know, right? Like, who were the celebs that we saw? I mean, well, what are they just like? What, what's the experience like playing it? And, like, you know. It's, what I like about Coachella is that it's, you get the do-over. Like, th since the weekend happens twice, like, you get the experience of playing and, like, playing on your stage and then afterwards, like, your monitors guy or, like, the people working with you, you know, they ask for, like, feedback for, like, what what can happen next week that's going to make things go better. Um, and actually, the first weekend was really tough. Like, both shows were really good. The second weekend was definitely better. Because, um, like, a, my, like, main pedal just broke, like, what? when we were getting on mm. oh, stage so but it's like also totally my fault because like it had been acting weird and i was just i did that thing where like it'll probably be fine and it wasn't fine or it was fine up until like the biggest show that we were about to play mm. and then i had to do i had to do like a lot of i'm a pro so like i got through it and i had to do like a lot of like dumb volume stuff in order to get through the set mm -hmm. effectively 
but it was very stressful. And then the second weekend, it's like, oh, okay, we get to do this again. Everything's working this time, and it's just going to be fun. It's not chaos. But playing festivals is just, like, <laughs> fucking chaotic. Gotcha. Like, don't expect, like, the, your favorite band to sound amazing at a festival because everyone just gets, like, thrown up there. Yeah. And That's it's, what I hear we, it's, it's called, um, like, throw and go. Mm. Like, you just, like, you throw your instruments up there and you just, like, fucking start playing. Mm-hmm. And then you figure it out. But it's just so much fun. I, I, I love music festivals. Gotcha. How was the food there? I always hear it's, like, really good. Michelle really hyped it up. <laughs> she was like, it's the best catering you've ever had. Trust me. Like, the spa water is amazing. Like, it's going to be. Like, it was good. <laughs> the food was fine. <laughs> That's really I've heard like if the the first weekend is like the real like celebrity influencer weekend, mm-hmm. and then the second weekend are like the real music fans. Dang, That's what so everyone says about Coachella. Celebrities come for the bad music when it's not done. It's not. Well, yeah, they're there for ready. the first weekend, mm. but I think a lot of people are there maybe just to party, you know. All right, so we like to close out with a little bit of a rapid fire round here. Uh, so first off, um, what's like a song that you wish you written? Oh, um, there's so many songs that I wish I had written and some that I feel more intensely about than others. But um, the Pixie song is like, hey, been trying to meet you. Mm-hmm. Must be a devil. I'm really, really bad at song titles. <laughs> but that Pixie song is just so incredible mm. to me. And there's definitely a list of like 10 other songs behind this that I wish I had written, but um, I love that song. Okay, this is a very important one. Boats, planes, trains, or cars? Cars. Okay, why? Um, because I love having a car. It's like the closest that sometimes I feel to being able to just, you know, pick up and leave, like, the freedom. Also, car, also closest to van, also closest to mm. bandwagon. Tor- like, it's it's such a, like, I need that type of transportation in order to be able to, like, play music and tour mm. as yeah. well. I feel like that's what, the, that's what the car people say. Yeah. yeah. I would like to pick train mm-hmm. in terms of, I- for environmental reasons, but logistically, I'm going to have to go with car, even though it's a cockroach on the earth. It, it's because it's nice is why it's a cockroach on the earth, right? Yeah. Um, what's the best city to play at? I want to say Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> buddy. That's right. That's right. Represent out here. That's why you're the icon. just feels like... It, I, there's like a saying a little bit in music, which is like your hometown loves you last. Like if you're like a traveling person but we've actually talked about how lucky we feel that like philly loved us first like no one else fucked with us but philly did and philly like it just every time we played a show here it got better and better um and i just like i i love it here and i love our music scene and i love our art scene and i love how passionate and chaotic the city is um so i and it's also like a tough place for touring people too like i've heard a lot of touring people are like oh yeah philly's a tough philly's a tough city to play in mm. and i'm like mm, yeah can't relate 
Okay. Um, what's your Wawa order? My Wawa order? Um, ooh, it depends what time of night and what's going on. Actually, my Wawa order is, like, more recently been, like, just the, the thing of pineapple. Okay. And, uh, like, a pretzel. Pretzels. Pretzels. And that's kind of been it like i'm like oh, i can't like fuck with the touch screen stuff because I, I think i gotta like a little like wawa out because mm. like on sets and stuff for for film stuff and um music video stuff you always like for budget reasons end up getting like a wawa catering mm-hmm. and i just got burnt on it on like all their hoagies and stuff so now i'm just like a pretzel and pineapple person from wawa mm-hmm. makes sense yeah Whenever we go, whenever we have family visiting or we, like, go somewhere, like, to a family event, my mom buys all the pretzels from Wawa and takes them. And she's just like, here, <laughs> this is our contribution. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, uh, what's your uh, dream dream act to tour with? <gasps> um, like, I mean, I, oh, so many. I mean, like, if the AES were to ever tour again... Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they would take Michelle instead. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, like if they went on a tour, tour opening for them would be a dream come true. Um, I would also love to open for Turnstile because I just love their band so much and I've loved them for so long. And it's so cool that I just, I'm, you know, I only know them like a little bit, but I'm just very proud of them. <laughs> where mm. I'm like, you guys fucking did it and everyone loves rock music again. And we all have you to thank for this. <laughs> Um, and then who else do I really like? Um, I would, I uh, actually rage against the machine would probably be like the dream. Mm. Yeah. I saw you were like, they were going to play Coachella when you were supposed to do it. I know. Uh, that would have been so cool. Just like Coachella. That broke my heart. Cause I've been waiting to see rage like my whole life. Mm. And I missed them this year when they came back. Oh, really? Yeah, Dang. I did not see them. Oof. So, bummer, especially since Zach is injured now. Mm. And I don't know when he's going to be touring again. I have a friend who made me feel really bad about it, actually. He made me feel really guilty for missing them. Wow. And then I ended up, because he made me feel so guilty, I ended up, like, flying to Austin City Limits a few weeks ago to go meet up with the Japanese Breakfast Crew because they were playing mm-hmm. ACL and Red Hot Chili Peppers was the... the um the headliner for their night and i was like i've never seen the red hot chili peppers and I, they really are like one of my favorite bands i love them Dang. and i missed them when i was 15 because of some team girl bullshit mm. and i was like i need to do this and michelle was like yo come out to acl like we'll put you on our crew list like we'll you, we'll just go and so like michelle and i fucking partied That's so <laughs> it was yes. so much and it was like right before they went to europe too so we got to have like our i don't know no filler episodes with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, but you know, th- I think there is something to be said. Like when life attempts to be taken away from you at a young age, once you get over the decade-long depressive episode that follows, you're like, ah, what? What can I do to really like pour my gratitude into being alive at every possible moment? Mm. And I feel very, very privileged to like that's not just like a dream that's like something that i'm like actively living is is just like this is how i want to live and this is what i want to make and and i'm doing those things 
That's really beautiful. I feel lucky to have learned that lesson early on. Well, my, my question was going to be, if you could say anything to your, give advice to your 15-year-old self, what would you say? Oh, but my I, God. Yeah. I would, like, probably, like, I might start crying. Like, I might, like, cradle her face and just, like, start crying and just, like, promise her that it's going to get better. Like, Aww. it was just so hard during that time. And mm -hmm. it only got harder for, like, a 10-year period. It mm -hmm. just felt like one thing after another and just being so depressed and, like, not. But, yeah, I would definitely, like, just catch her little forehead and just promise her that all the things that, she really dreams of doing and that she wants to do it's gonna take time it's gonna take a lot of time it's gonna take more time than you think it should but once you like wake up and you unfreeze yourself emotionally and you like really work on your depression and and these things like once you come alive you're really going to come alive and you have a lot of power in you to to make things happen and it's just going to take you like dedicating yourself to to the practice of that um and yeah maybe tell her like you're actually gonna like you're actually gonna live mm. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really powerful and like just i just want to say like i think um you know like listening to your music and your story i think there are like 15 year olds and like people out there who are going through hard times and like get the chance to actually like express like sort of what's like deep inside them uh, and that's just really beautiful. It's just, yeah, I, I just love the work that you do. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. It's really hard to be alive. It is. Yes. Oh, it sucks. It yeah. is so hard. It takes so much time and effort and money, like so much money to be alive. We're going to do this every day. Yeah. yeah. Every day you do. And you just, I don't know, at a certain part point, like you really are just doing the best that you can. But I think, I don't think we're honest enough with young people that like you really don't need to have everything figured out at the age that greater society and your school and your parents are like kind of pressuring you to feel there's just there's just so many lies that are mm -hmm. told to to children that just end up having a deeply adverse effect on their like psyche and i think i don't know i would love to see that change for the next generation i'm really like feel very grateful and attuned to like gen z too like gen z is so powerfully angry in a way that i think only like half of millennials are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think millennials like we're either like they're like me where we're like fucking angry and like yo none of this shit makes sense or they're like well i guess that's the way it's gonna be mm. and but all of gen z is like no fuck this mm. and that's why i think together we're going to create a very powerful coalition of of you know angry leftists let's mm. go <laughs> as we should as, as we, we should. should all right uh we always wrap up with the same two questions here um so you said you're working on the new record uh it's coming together um do you have any plans to submit it for grammy consideration hell yeah okay. right. <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah yeah you're like the like we asked this like 
with each successive guest, we're actually getting like closer and closer to a person who actually could win the Grammy, <laughs> which is really <laughs> funny to me. Um, but like, you know, your music's inspiring. It speaks to so many people. We know that this next record, uh, whatever sound it's going to be, but I will be digging if it's a really hardcore record. Uh, it's it's going to do great. It's going to uh, get you up on that stage. So, you know, you asked us at the Opus podcast, we're just here to try to lift up that artist, get them ready for that uh, time when they're in that position. So with all that being said, uh, any thoughts on what your Grammy speech is going to be? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I don't know. That seems like like jinx territory to mm. to do it. Um, I I I wish yeah, if I had more haters, you know, I would would love to be like a suck my dick fucking hater, like fucking made it. <laughs> that sort of thing. But it would probably be like, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. I love you, Desiree, my sister. Oh. Uh, I don't I don't know. Okay. I like how you're just a very sweet person. You're very classy. <laughs> like, all the way through. Okay. It, yeah. In my head, I would be like, anyone who didn't believe me in me, like, you know, I always knew. We always yeah. knew. But I don't, I don't know. I just, you got to, you know, focus on the work. And uh, the idea that, like, you still haven't done your best work, I think is something that, like, keep, keeps propelling you forward as an artist. It's like, you cannot believe that you've already done the best thing that you've ever going to do it's scary and very stressful i think often to be like oh my god i have to do that again oh my god i have to write another song again it's never going to be as good as the last one i wrote like no one's ever gonna you know it's really easy to start that pattern in your head mm -hmm. but um yeah i think your your best work is always ahead of you that's a that's a really profound note and i think like really motivating for a lot of artists to hear yeah um, I hope so. Yeah. And it would be so cool to win a Grammy. Win. It would mean that I feel like that would just be like the solidifying um, mannequin pussy is now like part of the culture mm. and like part of the mainstream in a way and not just, you know, censored to oblivion. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mean, like we take what we do very seriously. And sometimes I wonder about that with like the name that we have. Like, I'm like, oh, maybe people don't take us seriously because of this like one five letter word but that would seem i don't know who knows mm. i mean if limp biscuit can get like <laughs> that's what i always just come back to like that's the most profane thing i didn't realize it was an actual thing until like later in life and we're i, I need to wrap up and not go on this tangent <laughs> we just talked to you forever i oh man you are such a pleasant guest to talk to thank you so much for being on the podcast oh thank you for inviting me i'm glad we got to meet at the at the thing. Yes. Yeah. Shout out Rec Philly. Yes. Shout out Rec Philly. This place is so cool. This place is very cool. Y'all should all get memberships. Uh, <laughs> well, we can do a part two when the record comes out. Yeah. Um, I would. We would love that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Shout out your Instagram and socials. At Mannequin Pussy. At Mannequin <laughs> Missy on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Mannequin Missy on TikTok. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. Y'all go follow, go stream, go like. Y'all know what to do. <laughs> it's y'all already doing it. She's she's the best. If you're not listening to her right now, then I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> y'all know what to do. Go stream Missy's music. Go watch all the music videos. Just just give her everything. Give start start making like Grammys for her and just send it to our address. We're not gonna figure out. <laughs> Manifestation <laughs> works and positive energy works. Yes, so it, it, we right. appreciate any of that. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>